Welcome to Damn Good Brands. And now, here's your host, Nick Taylor. Hey, what's going on? Today, we have kind of a different episode. I'm talking to my buddy, Zach Dugo. I uh, haven't seen Zach in years, and since we last spoke, he's gotten a very impressive new startup off the ground called Instacator. Instacator, as a platform, is pretty important to brands, first of all, because of its innovation, but second of all, because of its implication of the state of the world of online ads and internet content. I will explain. So Instacator in its simplest form is an ad platform. And I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute. Nobody reads banner ads anymore. In fact, 86% of people have banner blindness and literally do not see online ads because they've kind of programmed their minds and their eyes to avoid them. Additionally, 46% of millennials use ad blockers and more than half of digital ad impressions come from bots. So to sidestep all of these common media buying pitfalls, what Instacator does is it serves up highly engaging content instead of traditional ad units. For instance, it generates fun and engaging quizzes and polls, kind of like those found on BuzzFeed, that people actually enjoy engaging with. So on the front end, it's an ad platform that enables brands to deliver ads that actually work by driving engagement among a population of people who typically ignore ads entirely. Then, here's this is the cool part, on the back end, it captures a bunch of really useful data for the brands. And I definitely recommend you checking them out. Instacator.com, that's I-N-S-T-I-C-A-T-O-R. If you are doing anything in the land of media buying or online ad buying, I highly recommend you check these guys out. Some of their current clients include TMZ, Warner Brothers, LA Times, and Ancestry.com, and they are growing. Zach and his team to date have raised over $8 million in Series A funding, and they are continuing to do great things. And since then, Instacator has been named by the Inc. 5000 as one of the fastest growing private firms in America and rated as one of the red herring top 100 finalists of 2017. And I just found out... Zach is single, ladies, and uh, he's quite a stud, if I do say so myself. So uh, you can tweet him at at Zach Dugo. That's at Z-A-C-H-D-U-G-O-W. In this episode, Zach and I discuss the current ad landscape as well as we get into the trials and tribulations of getting a startup off the ground and raising Series A funding, which ain't for sissies. Uh, The past five years have been pretty intense, and he gets into a lot of what it took for him to get this startup, not only off the ground, but in a very, very successful place. So I really, really enjoy this conversation. I hope you do too. And without further ado, Zach Dugo. Yeah, man, it's been a minute. It's yes. four, four or five years. Last time we hung out, you were uh, with Red Rush. Yes. Club promoter. We were yeah. hanging out at Greenhouse. I remember that. <laughs> oh, man. Like Old hands fuck down the most crowded club in New York, which is saying a lot. <laughs> but now memories, memories. 5.2 million in Series A funding. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Sounds like the past five years have been a whirlwind, huh? Yeah, as you mentioned. So actually, I think total we've raised just over 8 million at Instagram. Whoa. Yeah. Congrats, man. At Instacator, we have a technology that we embed into media company websites that engages the audience. And so through like an embedded 
curated piece of code that has curated trivia content and polling content and a suite of publisher engagement tools that engage the audience. So if you're on TMZ.com, like that's one of our customers or partners is Warner Brothers. Sarah Code on the sports section, we're engaging them with questions about like the celebrities who were recently in the news and information that engages the audience. And then we serve targeted advertising against that and we monetize that audience for the publisher through research questions that are asked by brands. So say that T-Mobile wants to pull away customers from Verizon. They go, what would it take to for us to switch your what would it take for you to switch your telco provider and they ask that question in our system mm-hmm. they we have like four options there like fifty dollars off your bill a month or a free cell phone every two years or a new cell phone accessory as a complimentary gift every six months then we can say hey t-mobile so we found out the marketing messaging that resounds the most is a fifty dollars off their cell phone bill every month and we know that because we got twenty five thousand answers the data statistically relevant mm-hmm. and here's what that audience looks like they're 18 to 36 they're female they drive a honda civic they have an affinity for lemonade and for Star Wars. And so because we've seen these people when they go to abc.com and we've profiled a piece of information that they willingly submit mm-hmm. via first party answer. And then we see them again when they go to um, um, findagrave.com or a different website where they're able to like add these data points and to give this information to brands and marketers to tailor their messaging and then also for brands to like spend their media spend to target proper audiences. So it's a, a really engaging ad platform on the one end, but then it's just this, it pulls in this amazing relevant data on the back end as well too, that can inform like other ad campaigns down the line. I mean, it sounds like it's doing a lot. Yeah. So we kind of focus ourselves as like a research company almost that also does like the advertising and content engagement. I mean, I would imagine just in like trying to come up with the impetus of this idea, I would imagine it's partially because everybody's using ad blockers. Nobody likes or clicks on banner ads anymore. That coupled with the rise of bu- by BuzzFeed type um, surveys that everybody loves engaging with, like it seems like a perfect kind of merging of concepts. Have ads that people enjoy engaging with and playing with. That, that's exactly right, right? So for like so long, there's this whole s- pendulum in the world regarding ads, advertisers, people who are readers, and and then the websites. And mm-hmm. it's like skewed too far, right? Like you've gone to a site before, it's got way too many ads on the page and you're yeah. like bl- banner blindless and you ignore it, yep. right? Um, and at the same time, advertisers want to get their messaging across. So how about like a balance for the ecosystem where readers like engaging with it, advertisers get their messaging across or can convert people to their products mm-hmm. and publishers are happy because they're making money from it and their readers are happy. So that's kind of where we fit in into that balance in the ecosystem. What was the what was the fundraising process like for the kind of entrepreneurs listening and people who who want to do similar things and have their startups? What did it? Or first of all, let me back up a little bit. I mean, from what I understand, this was a very iterative process. Like the original idea is not exactly what it is now, and it's gone through like a ton of different phases. Can you talk about the the process of iteration yeah. when it comes to when it comes to Instacator? Yeah, absolutely. So not unlike a lot of different tech companies, we like start out with something completely different from what we do now, right? Like mm-hmm. YouTube was like video dating. Um, is that so, right? Yeah. So most people don't even know that. that, right? So YouTube was called YouTube and Hook Up. No way. Yes. And then they found out that people wanted to actually broadcast themselves and not just like hook up. And they're like, that pivoted into that. So it was like originally going to be the first chat roulette, pretty much. That is exactly right. Thank God they moved away from that. Thank God. Yeah. Because that that didn't go very well. (laughs) So not like a lot of others, like Flickr was a role playing strategy game. Then they became a photo sharing app. So Uh like we had a big pivot ourselves. So we were initially a B2C web application where people could predict outcomes of TV shows and sporting events to win points that they would redeem for rewards. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so what 
brought about our pivot is that, so we launched with that, we had success with that. But then as people were engaging, we thought, okay, wow, let's see how we can grow our B2C audience. And we started talking these different TV shows. Did you ever hear of The Vampire Diaries? Yeah. Okay. Never watched it, but I heard of it. Yeah. So unless you're a 17-year-old girl, it may not be on your hit list of TV shows to watch. (laughs) Certainly not. Um, Anyways, we were reaching out to these fan communities, and one of the first fan communities we connected with was The Vampire Diaries Online and Supernatural. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That I did watch a little bit of. Um, what's the brothers? I can't remember. Yeah, it's the two brothers and they go around. It's like a young, it's like Teenage X-Files pretty much. They go around fighting different supernatural forces and stuff. Nailed it. Yeah. So super engaged audience. And they said, well, what if you can increase engagement in our site instead of us sending people to your site to engage? And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Hmm. So we tweaked the front end of the code and then we like made it into embedded widget and we thought, wow, so let's see what happens. And then we found, wow, we can increase time spent on site and dwell time and engagement. And that was really valuable to the audience and it hmm. drove contest and engagement there. And we're like, and then things started moving from there. It was like, wow, we can drive one more value there and we can collect lots of data there and then we can monetize that data and then we could drive advertising value. And so then we went from this B2C concept to like a totally embedded B2B, like B2C product. Okay. Yeah. Originally all around fan communities. Exactly. And now we're on sites like TMZ.com to like, um, we work with Evolve Media we work mm-hmm. with Warner Brothers. We work with IMG. Mm-hmm. We work with lots of big media companies around all different kinds of communities from like business to sports to entertainment right. to we're on the biggest Korean pop music website, allkpop.com. <laughs> so I know more I about Korean pop rap artists than I ever thought I would. Nice. So was it a matter of just launching a bunch of different iterations of it, seeing what works, and then constantly shifting and, and changing that was it is, as intensive as i'm making it out to be that is no but that is exactly That's right exactly it, it was is. like launching it seeing what actually drove value then focusing on what drove value then improving it and right. iterating it and growing it and then you get a lot of small customers you're like oh i wish i could get a big one and then like at some point you convince some executive to take a shot and it works out hopefully and then you're like great and then you get a case study and then you get some other big customers right. and then things kind of steamroll from there yeah what was that like getting your first customer because that sounds like it's the biggest hurdle when getting something like this off the ground yeah i will say so our first customer and bless his heart took a chance on us is still one of our customers today who i All love right. Corey benke from cheeseheadtv.com big green bay packers fan uh-huh it's tough. Like you're selling people on vision. Like people do not like to work with startups. It's new and it's risky and it's not fully baked out. But for the people that do, and you got to really try to sell them on like, look, we're going to tailor this product around your needs. And you give them amazing, either a great pricing deal, or Mm -hmm. you gave them like that, like what you can do then like white glove service and speaking to them all the time. Bust your ass for them. Exactly. And then that like really steamrolls in a positive way. That's great. Yeah. But like there's a lot of no's before you get yeses. Was it just you in the in the very beginning? Were you or did you from the be from the store when did you start hiring? We uh started in a little um coffee shop on fifty seventh and third, the nice. Juan Valdez Cafe. Oh nice. <laughs> Lovely cappuccinos there. Yeah, I'll have um, to check them out. <laughs> so yeah, I mean it was about probably six or seven months in as I had got, you know, as I started you know, working with some freelancers first on design mock-ups, which were totally, and financial projections which were totally irrelevant. Right. And then you like get the first version of your product out there and it's way, and I will say this, it's like way tougher to sell investors on vision than it mm. is when you have revenue. 
and right. like a product and a team, right? Just like on Shark Tank. First yeah. thing they always ask, what are your sales? Exactly. It's like way easier to be like, look, we did a like for a, like we did a million and then we did three million. So if we have five million, we think we can go to ten and then so on. Then to be like, hey, we have no revenue, right. but like we're gonna have to create something that has value. <laughs> That's it's like way harder to raise that first five hundred thousand to a million than it is to raise, at least in my experience, than like the next like four million or five million when you right. have like product and revenue and traction. Yeah. And I'm sure when when investors see other investors jumping in, they're like, Oh, I gotta get a piece of that. And it's just this wonderful snowball effect. That is exactly right. So for us, like similar thing. I, I feel like the key to fundraising, what I would say to any entrepreneur is like find your mm. main lead investor. And that individual when you get them on board your lead, they will help raise all the rest of the money for you. Because they just, they get in touch they with They have their investors. entire network and they leverage it. And they've got 50 other people who they've done a lot of deals with where mm. they made more money on it than they lost. And they go, oh, wow. If Dave is in, I'm in. Because like Dave, like the last four deals we did together, like I made a lot of money. So if he's already vetted you and he's vetted your team and he's vetted your technology and your product and all that, if he's in, I'm in for 100K. The person's like, count me in for 250. You know what I mean? Like it, that's- yeah. At least for us, like getting that initial lead investor was the hardest thing. But once you do that, that helps streamline everything else. That makes a lot of sense. How did you find that lead investor? Did you have any sort of advisor or was it just banging on a lot of doors? We did all that. So we like we met every person I met, I like looked to like leverage in a way that I could be helpful for them and vice versa. So we had a lot of great business advisors. We did an accelerator program in um San Francisco Orange Fab. It's like the mm. big European telco. Orange is, they're like a $50 billion telco. It used to be French Telecom. Yeah. It's their accelerator. And that was super helpful. For, helpful oh, that's great. Us. So how does that even work? Is it is it pretty much an incubator system? It, exactly. So you all like right. create like a profile in like angel.co, which I suggest like all any young you know startup to do. And then you apply to these different accelerators okay. from like Y Combinator and Techstars and all these different accelerators. And you see what could be a good fit and valuable for you. And for us, that was like a really great fit. Mm-hmm. And we got into some others, but we really, we, we thought we had a really great connection with the person who ran the program, Pascal, back then, who was amazing. Great. And then we got there. They were just connecting us with so many different people from like investors to business opportunities to like partnership deals. We got to work with all the other you know, startup founders and it was Whoa. like just a really great opportunity and it worked out really well for you us. You were right there in the hotbed of Silicon Valley. Exactly. So I had half our team out there with me for eight months. Was, Whoa, uh, you're out there a long time. Yes. Is that how long these programs last? I think normally they're like three months. I like stayed out there like extra because it just for, it was just, there was a lot of other stuff going on. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So what do they, is, you, so you go out there with your whole, with your entire team or with a few select people or I'm sure it varies. Typically but. it varies, right? Like you'll go out there with a couple, if you have co-founders, your co-founders, you'll go out there with your, your core team. Mm-hmm. You go through a process of like product validation and selling it and then raising money and what your key metrics on you're focused on. And then you and all the other founders like try to like call each other on your bullshit to like help each other because right. when you got like so many unknown variables that you're throwing out there and then um, it's just super helpful, you know, like that like fast paced environment, um, change, you know, helps at least for first time founders. I think it's really helpful. Yeah. And it sounds like it opens up a hell of a lot of doors too. Exactly. It, yeah. it connects you with a lot of people that like, you don't know how, but then like two years later you're like, oh shit. 
my buddy Juan has a company that does that thing and like we should connect on that or right. so on and so forth. I'm sure the networking element is also great from the perspective of meeting other startup founders who can kind of empathize with the struggles that you're going through. Exactly. Because it's it's a long, hard and often lonely road. It's difficult to, but having <laughs> other people, like yeah. having other people who are going through what you're going through, that's got to make it a little bit easier. And I'm sure you help each other with different resources and <laughs> words of yeah. encouragement and whatnot, but I'm sure that's a big part of it. Yeah, you nailed it on the head, right? So there is a lot, especially being a solo founder, but even not if you are you have co-founders, there's a lot of like sleepless nights and yeah. like in the early days, right? It's like and any days, right? It's a constant mm-hmm. war zone, right? Even now, because um, it's always new challenges. Right. So it's there's a lot of like making this work and moving this piece and uh, being able to share those struggles is great. I mean, there's other like great like found like networking CEO things that are that I found to be really useful, but I think it's awesome in general. And you guys are expanding. You're setting up an office in India, or you yeah. have one set up. We, we have one set up in India. We're expanding to an office in Mexico. Oh, We're nice. in Monterey, Mexico. Have you ever been? No, I've never been to Mexico. It, it actually feels like you're in Texas. Really? Yeah. So we're really excited about that. A lot of that. dudes in cowboy hats and boots and. No, no, it feels like you're in Austin, Texas. Really? Yeah, like very like Western culture, music and technology, and it's a really, really great hub. I have no for idea. That. And so we'd worked with a company that had we had great results with, and I remember thinking about, wow, wouldn't it be awesome if we just like actually set up a a hub here? Um, because and help build out a team of designers and developers mm-hmm. that we could kind of really grow out would be really, really, really useful. And so, so now cool. we're kind of working on that. So Is it like a tropical place? Would you be able to send employees here who kind of need yeah. a break but still yeah. want to? Definitely can do that. Not tropical, like warm. Warm and nice and yeah. super, yeah. It's not like a beach town though or anything, right? No, no, no. beach. Right. No beach, it's still Mexico though. That's pretty cool. Mexico. Are they? Do they have some major tax incentive for, um, for startups and like for themselves as Mexico? Like are they trying to, because there were parts of South America that were right. trying to become new startup hotbeds. Like Chile was doing a lot. Chile, startup Chile, that thing. No, actually not really. <laughs> so this is just not you like finding, finding this amazing opportunity or so location. The reason why it's good for us is there's direct flights from New York, only four and a half hours. It's like a That's similar cost to that of like lower cost. Energy. Like there's great great talent there and um so we found that that would be like a good fit for us that's awesome yeah do you shoot that in india very often no not often it is a far flight to yeah, Uttar rajasthan that's, that's definitely a hard one you yes. guys are in rajasthan yes oh well i've been i've been to india three times haven't been in rajasthan though somehow the, the floating palace of Udapur, that famous hotel you guys are in that palace no but that's like an icon of Udapur. <laughs> right 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 <laughs> we're not in that palace now so on your website, it says that you guys, publishers experience an average increase of 160% in revenue and 44% in audience engagement. That's huge. Yeah. What are, do you think are the elements of these ads that are creating such a high, or not ads, but the overall instigator system that's causing such a high ROI? Like where's the, what's the, where's the real magic in, in the way it's working? It's the fact that we combine two things that most people don't. We combine like market research revenue mm-hmm. and revenue from advertising together. And generally those two things are like bifurcated and separate. Like if you're a brand, you'd have like a media buying team and you'd have like a researcher who's like finding out like the good information. Mm -hmm. For a publisher to be able to fill both those needs through our system, that combined revenue we find is like really meaningful. And so being able to like have expertise on that and execute both those things well for our customers is really, we find really valuable. And uh, were there any major either books or mentors or people or even movies that were foundationally inspirational or helpful throughout the course of 
getting this thing off the ground? Yes. I don't know if we have enough time for me to like list <laughs> and thank everybody. Um, we've had, God, so many, but we have an amazing, for, for us, we have an amazingly supportive board and uh, advisory group. So all of our investors, uh, Selig and Bill and Lowell and Herb and uh, Neil and our whole group is super supportive, which is fantastic. But we have amazing advisors as well. There's some great books I'd love to list off. So, I mean, I think all startup founders should watch, read The Hard Thing About Hard Things by mm. Ben Horwitz. Yep. Amazing. From Zero to End by Peter Thiel. The Lean Startup. Um, I also really recommend one. that everybody read Principles by Ray Dalio. Founder yeah, of I just got that. I haven't read it yet. So good. For, yeah. Like, so good. And I feel like almost before you start coming, you should read like all seven of these books. And you're like so much further ahead of the curve than like – I was when we got started or like then a lot of people are if you already are starting to think about these concepts like right. transparency and how do I build a great culture and how do I think about product and how do I think about iteration and sales and all of that. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah, I was glad to say that he put out a book because for the longest time he was just doing he was he had more than enough work to do clearly with the business that he had and he just yeah. had no incentive to, to be putting out books. I think Tony Robbins talked him into it because wow. he got him. Yeah, Tony Robbins got him interview. He interviewed him for his money book. The book is called Money, Mastering the Game. And he interviewed him for that. And then I think he convinced him to write his own book. Wow. And that's how that came about. Yeah. That's awesome. So I'm dying to check that one out, though. Yeah. Any uh, any advice for people who are, start, who are starting up right now but are in the trenches and not entirely seeing a light at the end of the tunnel? Yes. Um, there is many times where I saw no light at the end of the tunnel. And you really just have got to, I'm, I'm convinced that the difference between success and failure is perseverance because a light will make its way there if you stay in the game mm. and you keep pushing forward. What nobody can prepare you for is the emotional highs and lows right? Right of a startup. Like you can hear about it, but it's like something else to like have all these like, you know, great things fall apart or that great person you thought was amazing is like actually disaster or, but you also, then there's like the unexpected great things like an amazing deal lands or these things happen that are great or new opportunities present themselves. Hmm. And you only get there though, if like you never quit, right? right? Like all those crazy times, look, I, you know, in the beginning we ran out of money and I had to put my own money in and go through a lot of trying times and, um, if your perseverance, if your idea makes sense and the market is there, like you will, you got to just believe you're going to find a way and you got to believe it. Like even with other people around, you're like, I don't know if this makes sense. Right. Well, that always fascinates me when, I mean, a very common advice, almost cliche is don't give up and keep going. But there's also a number of cases, and I've seen this with certain startups where it's not the greatest idea and they should probably hang it up. And how, where, how does that balance work? Yeah. So let me, that, I'm really happy you asked that. Cause I don't think I, I explained myself properly. I don't mean to so like what we do, if we had stayed with our initial idea would not have like worked out well, um, long-term. Mm -hmm. So I don't mean stay obsessed with your initial idea. Right. I just mean figure out what it is that's driving value and go towards that thing and don't give up and like keep moving and shaking until you figure it out. So don't be obsessed with your product, your idea. Mm -hmm. Be obsessed with trying to like solve a great problem. And you're right. There's some startup ideas that don't make sense, but they can find something that makes sense. Like, right. you know, the grinder team that built like the number one, you know, dating matching app, like built something totally different beforehand. And then they like totally, they had a complete 180 pivot yeah. as well. I just mean, 
if you want to build a great business, you, you can find something like what, what is driving value. Right. Um, and likely, if your initial idea made some level of sense, there's some piece of it that's valuable. Maybe not like how you're doing it now or what the concept is, but mm-hmm. some area that you can move it towards. So it's like really a matter of staying on top of it, but also constantly going back to the drawing board, reevaluating, identifying where the where where your company is driving value, and then constantly just kind of iterating based on that until you get something that hits. Yeah, look, there's a lot of great stories of companies that like had to, you know, build the business up and then like tear down parts of it two or three times over before like a massive exit. Right. So. Yeah, I think Instagram originally did the 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 filter element, the filter photo element was a small part of it did like 10 other things that yeah. nobody wanted. And then they yeah. just, yeah, hop, skip and jump later. A billion billions of, yeah not as easy as that right that's no like much no more unicorn like not 10 to people, one billion but right yes cool man so what's next for uh instigator what are you guys what are the grand plans right now yeah so we're expanding a lot of like our kind of our, our engagement product in our research business we hit over over two three hundred million people a month now Whoa. across all these different websites that we're embedded into and looking to expand that even further uh, beyond like all the partners we work with even more internationally. Like we worked with the number one news site in the Philippines, the Inquirer, mm-hmm. and looking to kind of expand our footprint and looking to um, help drive that value of that balance in the ecosystem. Cool, man. Looking forward to see what uh, what you guys have in store next. Yeah. Awesome. Well, awesome. thanks a lot, Nick. It's thanks been great for being to be on. here a lot of fun. you and uh, catch up with everything. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Thanks, man. Take care. All right. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe in the iTunes store or Spotify or however you are listening. And if you have any ideas for who we should have on this podcast next, definitely send us a tweet at Lippy Taylor. That's L-I-P-P-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R. Hashtag damn good brands. And if you like what you heard, please share our podcast with your friends, colleagues, and clients. And I will talk to you next time.